Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. Joining me tonight is my friend and co-host Corey Walsh of Fear the Sword. Corey, my brother, how you doing? After the heart palpitations I had last night, I've somewhat recovered and I no longer have to take heart medication. <laughs> but other than that, <laughs> I'm all right. How are you doing? That is an apt description of last night's game. And now that Corey has referenced it, man, we... We got a, a pretty good one, all things considered, between Boston and Cleveland last night, didn't we? Uh, I mean, though Boston was playing on the second half of a back-to-back, if I'm not mistaken, those dudes are always dangerous. I mean, there is not – anytime you see Boston on the schedule, you know you're in for a tough matchup. And mind you, this is a team without their best player and Jason Tatum. They didn't have Robert Williams. And Al Horford, I believe, was also – not suiting up for them, but that shit didn't even matter. <laughs> uh, it felt like they lit us up last night. Uh, they they knocked down 16 triples, and it just honestly, to me, felt like they were raining down threes for most of the night. Um, fucking Grant Williams, who we'll talk about here in a bit, went four or five last night, and each one felt soul-crushing. Um, Corey, w- w- as you were watching this game, and and – let me just ask you this first, like going into it, seeing the injury list, seeing the injury report for Boston, did you feel comfortable at all that like this would actually be a game that would not have required an overtime? Uh, going into this game, especially after watching uh, the Celtics the night before <laughs> play the Knicks and double overtime, I think every Cavs fan was kind of licking their chops and rubbing their hands together thinking that Shit, this was an opportunity that the Celtics were going to play right into the Cavs' hands who were coming off of a decent break in between games. Little did we all know that it didn't even matter because rain or shine, the Celtics are one of the deeper teams in the league. And they, like you said, in the first half were just on fire. They missed very few of their three-point attempts. Meanwhile, in classic Cavaliers fashion this season, it felt like we were not able to hit the broadside of a barn for the first half, you would have thought that the Cavs were the team that came off of the double overtime because they came out not matching the energy that these Celtics players did. I mean, the Celtics definitely had the talent to compete with the Cavs last night because, like I said, they're very deep. But at the same time, I don't think there's any Cavs fan out there, if you gave them truth serum, that really thought that this was at all a possibility of how that game would look through the first even three quarters of the game, honestly. Bro. It was ridiculous heading into that matchup. I'm like, cool. No Jason Tatum. No Al Horford, who fucked us up last time. No uh, no Robert Williams, who can be a monster on the defensive end. And I'm like, cool. This this should be a pretty, like, a, a tough game because they're an excellently coached team. They, they do things. They do some very good things. They can knock down three ball. They're composed defensively. They move around. They're bought in. But – Heading into the game, I'm like, okay, this is a very winnable game for this Cavaliers team who needs to stave off a very hot Knicks team uh, who's who's hot on their asses. They just needed a W in the worst way. And I, I'm not saying that like this was a must win because obviously we're still in the regular season. But when you're still in the midst of fighting for playoff seeding against a, a very tough opponent, you you want to go out there and, and do your best. And it just oftentimes felt like the energy just wasn't there uh, from, from a few players in particular. Uh, but few just felt, until that fourth quarter, 
few things felt like they were actually going right. And I know I already said that it felt like they were raining threes on us, but truth be told, the Caps actually shot a better percentage uh, than Boston last night, but that's mostly because they took less triples. Um, 12 of 34 on 35.3% uh, for Cleveland last night to Boston, 16 of 48 for 33.3%. And I could they be were, wrong. Yeah. I think Boston hit 13 in the first half, so they really cooled off in the second half, which kind of opened the gate for the Cavs to cut. Because the Cavs really made a bulk of their shots from the perimeter in the second half, I'm pretty sure. No, I want, I'm looking at the stats here, and you're absolutely correct. 13 of 25. That's 52 fucking percent in the first half. Like, everything. And that's why I said, like, it felt soul-crushing because every every three they put up in that first half in particular felt like it was going in. Um, and I'm not sure if that's particularly just because of the defense because this has been something where we've been privy to all season long with kind of like the lack of days ago perimeter defense. But – Boston just seems to hit shots. <laughs> um, and, you know, Jalen Brown didn't exactly have a good day yesterday from the arc, but he he still was able to contribute points in other ways. He was one of seven from three, but it didn't matter because everybody from Mike Muscala to uh, Grant Williams and Sam Hauser were, were dropping triples on us. <laughs> yeah, just who you would really expect on a night-to-night basis to light you up. <laughs> and, and it just did not feel right. I mean – and in, in, in regards to this comment down here, I'm just going to say it. Uh, we This would not have been possible without Big Bean Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's a new one. Um, obviously, there were some big-time contributions up and down the Cavs lineup. Evan Mobley had an absolutely amazing game last night. Uh, Lamar Stevens came up big. We'll talk about it here in a minute. But – this win would probably not have been possible at all without the performance of one Donovan Mitchell who dropped 47 well who dropped 40 points on the Celtics last night. And it's just a, an awesome performance for him as we become accustomed to um, him going I want to say 14 of 34 from the field and 4 of 11 from 3. I mean at at certain points, Mitch was just taking shots and and he was just driving into the pain. And there was that amazing dunk he had last night. Uh, but to me, you cannot win consistently against some of these better teams when you when you just you just have your core three to four guys contributing. You you need more out of your bench. And so I'm going to go to you with this question because it's something that's been lingering on my mind since his return. And that is what is up with our main man, Dean Wade, bro. What's going on with Dean Wade? I, uh, uh, earlier in the last week, I was on the junkyard pod with our friend, Tony Pesta and, uh, Jackson Flickinger. And this was another topic that we talked about there too. And I honestly, and this is not also riding the back of my Kevin Love bias that I have, <laughs> but at the same time, I think that thinking that this Dean Wade was just going to come in, he's got really handed a bad hand to start coming back off of injury. His expectations are frankly too high, I think, for the type of player he is. I think we were expecting to come in and be a high-volume three-point shooter to replace what Kevin Love brought to us in seasons prior, and that doesn't appear to be what Dean Wade is doing at all. I mean, he's been he's a relatively efficient three-point shooter, 
if you look back at his like career stats, but at the same time, those don't come with immense volume either. So him not shooting now, and when he does, it he's not converting. He's in like a cold spell from three right now. And he's at pretty much average at everything else. Like he's not a below average player. He's very well-rounded, but he doesn't have a single thing that he does where you can say exactly what. Like if you were doing a scouting report on Dean Wade, I, you couldn't think of his best strength is that he's good at a lot of things. You can't pinpoint one skill set in which he's great at doing something. And frankly, like I'm very disappointed with Dean right now. I said earlier today that I would probably give all of my Dean Wade minutes right now to Lamar at this point because you can't like we can sit here and be like, oh well, the height difference between the two will uh, prove to be detrimental in certain lineups. But then you could just counter and look at a little, what Lamar did last night. I mean, he got six offensive rebounds in 16 minutes, like. At the end of the day, it's all—it's just as much about positioning as it is about height. And if Dean Wade is a net zero on offense in terms of shooting the ball, Lamar, we all know, is not afraid to shoot. That has never been his MO, is being shy about launching shots from anywhere on the court. He'll shoot threes as often as he could take them. Not necessarily well, but he'll take them. And that's something that this Cavs bench in general is really – really lacking right now are willing shooters so if uh, dean needs more time to come back from this injury instead of being rushed into it like i think he might have been due to the love uh release then he might just need some time off the bed like sitting down recollecting and just let other players try because this bench right now is just atrocious Uh, you know what? I'm glad you mentioned all that because you're. We're just gonna jump right into question number one from our mailbag then, and you answered pretty much, I think, uh, your beliefs on this. So I'm just gonna get you on the record here again. But the question comes from Garland Media on Twitter. All of these are on Twitter, by the way. Uh, Dean Wade should be out of the rotation. That is a declarative statement right there. Thoughts, Corey, again, would you like to reiterate, are you are you saying based upon what you've seen thus far from Dean that you would like to go ahead and bench him in favor of Lamar? I think right now I'm in the mindset that the same mentality that JB has for Jetty Osman, he should have for every single player on the bench, where that, to be more specific, is that if you're not doing anything in the minutes that you're being given, you're you're done. Like, we're just going to – not because, like, fuck you, you suck. Cooked. But, but more <laughs> just like, all right, obviously, like, this is just like a mix and match type thing with this bench right now. And – there's not one player I would say, honestly, I know it's very controversial given his presence on Cavs Twitter, but the only players that I really feel like should be in night tonight are Karis Levert and like 50% of the time, Jetty Osman. <laughs> like that's really the only two players that I look at and think positively of right now. And that could change again night to night. But at the end of the day, Dean Wade is just one of those players that I think should be on a short leash. And this could also be due to the injury too. And I don't, I'm not giving up on Dean Wade entirely. I think next season, if like when he comes into a full camp, isn't injured, gets to have good run with the guys, I think he'll be right back to what he was earlier in the season and last season. Now that's kind of where I'm at right now, and I think that's a that's a very good way to put it. A short leash. Uh, I mean, I can't lie. 
Uh, Dean Wade has played some lackluster basketball as of late. And this is a guy, obviously, who we were we were thinking could not necessarily replicate the production of Kevin Love, but uh, could give you something, some type of firepower in the absence of Kevin. And that's why they felt so comfortable letting Kevin go. But he's not done that. Um, since he's returned, he's averaging three and a half points, 3.1 rebounds, 37, 37.5% from the field, and 30.6% from three-point range, which is essentially what you need him out there to do, to space the floor. Uh, that's the biggest thing, to space the floor and play defense. Uh, he's just not shooting the ball well right now. And he's only taking, to your point earlier, he's only taking two and a half attempts during that during that stretch. That is not cutting it. So you need him to pick it up, uh, which is why at this point I am completely okay if you have to remove him in, from the rotation or give him give him a short leash in favor of a Danny Green, who many people complain ain't getting enough time right now, or Lamar Stevens, purely based upon the factors that we saw last night. Uh, just just one of those things where you, you just have to look up and down this bench and, and look at your reserves and say, hey, what are you going to be able to give me tonight? Because I just – I don't trust any of you guys. Uh, give me something. And, you know, we, we talk about this a lot on Twitter. We've talked about it in the past before, uh, you know, before this season even. Karis LeVert, I mean, even him, uh, as big as of a supporter I am, you just don't know what you're going to get from him on a night-to-night basis. Although I feel like a lot of the hate that he gets is, like, absolutely ridiculous because a lot of what he does just goes uh, – it just goes unnoticed, in my opinion. But to the point here, um, I'm okay. If you're going to bench Dean, give me Lamar. That's where I'm at with that. Uh, moving forward, this next question comes from Jason Kogar. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> uh, correctly. Uh, the Cavs need to be going small ball more and more. Who would you rather see at the four, Wade or Stevens? Uh, that's another good one. How about that, Corey? I uh, I feel like, again, right now, with the way both players are heading, I feel like they're heading in different trajectories right now. And last night was a good example of the Celtics are pretty much running small, and they basically played Jared Allen out of the game intentionally. So then Jared Allen didn't even play in overtime. He didn't really play the closing minutes either, except to come back in to try to get the rebound from Grant Williams. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think Lamar Stevens definitely brings more to the table right now because of his uh, defensive intensity and his spark plug type energy from a night to night basis. Now, that's not like a statistical uh, reasoning why, but at the end of the day, I think the Cavs do play better through him. And yes, he technically is more of a non shooter than Wade is, but if Wade's not hitting shots, then Wade is also a non-shooter right now. And he's been very passive. It's Dylan Windleritis right now. Where he's just not taking shots when they are available and Lamar will take them. So for those reasons, I would definitely pick Lamar for the starting four or I the think four in yeah, small, small ball. ball lineups. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like to me, it all comes down to spacing because theoretically, if you're going small, you want as many good shooters out there as possible, right? Like that's that's what you're really trying to take advantage of is is the shooting aspect of it, making guys run the floor. 
Uh, if you're putting Dean or Lamar out at the four, that almost certifies that you're going to have at least one of Allen or Mobley at the five, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, that you don't really have a lot of options, and neither are reliable shooters. So you got to get as much shooting at as possible as possible from spots one through four. Uh, Dean can still shoot the ball. He's just not doing that. He don't look comfortable right now. Uh, you you got to get him back to taking him. So if I'm going small, if I'm going a small ball lineup, I'm probably going to go the way of Dean uh, at the four. But I can certainly see why you would make a case for Lamar. I'm just I would just be concerned with like the spacing. Like who is who are your one through three if you're going small? I probably be Darius. Donovan and Karras. Yeah, I think that's that's solid because as much flack as he takes, Karras is a decent spot-up shooter this season. Hasn't been terrible. Um, we already know it, what Darius and, and Donovan can do from range. So well, I mean, look at last night as an example. That was the lineup that they ran in the last few minutes and overtime was that mm-hmm. lineup. And it, it looked pretty all right at times. I mean, the Cavs offense in general is like a quagmire that I just <laughs> am so upset about. Right? But Someone's at, iso ball, man. Uh, don't even get me started on the Cavs offense. <laughs> I could just go up a wall. But, um, yeah, overall, I think small ball, it just stinks. I feel like if I wish – I know it's like the not impossible, but I wish there was just a, 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 a small move that was made that could make small ball play a little more available to the Cavs. We don't really have a true – for like a PJ Tucker, Robert Covington, Jay Crowder type player who can space the floor, but it's really more of a small forward, but he's bulky enough to where he can match up with some fours if need be. But we don't really have that option. Lamar is honestly the closest thing we have to it. And Lamar is no way in that type of uh, offensive versatility that the other three players I just mentioned are. I got to agree with you. Like you want like aspects from each of these players. You just want to pick and choose like certain aspects and just create one person with them. That would, that would be the perfect guy to have. But obviously we don't have that on the roster. All these options at the small fort position all do something a little bit differently. uh, But none of them do, do things so well that you can just say one is so clearly above the rest. I mean, if you want to put Isaac up there, fine because Isaac is probably still has the most potential of all of them. Uh, But at this point in time, you just, you don't feel great about any of them uh, from a spacing standpoint outside of Dean, uh, who is just not knocking down shots right now. Um, Next question comes from Trevor Yeats. Yeats. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like butchering all these. I bet. I I bet. (laughs) I think it's Yeats. It probably eats, yeah. Eat. Uh, thoughts on Mamadi Diakite's future with the Cavs for this season and after this season. What do you think will happen and what do you want to happen? Uh, so I'll, I guess I'll go ahead because you know you know how I'm a, a huge fan of Mamadi. Uh, he owns honestly, all the Mamadi stock on this pod. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Honestly, I'd like to sign Mamadi for the remainder of the season because the Cavs lack depth at the four and five now that Kevin is no longer Cavalier. The problem with that is that, currently speaking, Sam Merrill is occupying that last roster spot on a 10-day, which I am not mad about. I, you know, we, we just put content out about that. We just saw him uh, score his first points in wine and gold. Uh, but as of right now, he is, a, he, he is occupying that, that last roster spot. 
Not sure where that leaves Diakite, uh, at least for this season. He he's he's probably out of the running, uh, but you never know what could happen. Now in the future, I like to sign him in the offseason to compete for a roster spot since the Cavs aren't going to be flush with cap space this summer. And then that's that's something we haven't even gotten to. And it, <laughs> it, it looks kind of dire. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it does not look great. So you're going to need low-budget, cost-effective moves. And I think Diakite would be able to do that um, to some degree because uh, you, you're, you're just not going to be able to sign – a, a ton of guys without some form of wizardry from the very capable and unpredictable Kobe Altman. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, what would you do? <sighs> Mac, take a seat. <laughs> you need- Look, say, I, anytime you say that, I know he's out of here. <laughs> he's, you're out. Matt, uh, Diakite's tenure in the Cavs will be short-lived. It is going to be a one-and-done. I don't see much else that is going to come out of this tenure. It's a nice idea to think he's going to play at some point in his career, but, I mean, I feel way more confident that Diop's going to come from overseas and hold that spot next year than Diakite, if anyone else. But I do agree the Cavs do need depth with their bigs because if i see rollo show up in a playoff game i know that we're just calling it curtains <laughs> in that game <laughs> whatsoever but diakite honestly isn't much of a needle move, mover either he has nice stretches in the regular season but he's not a postseason level basketball player like if that's someone that we're looking at to kind of be the break glass need a big <laughs> to come in then i will be very devastated i is nothing against diakite like i think he is at the cusp of being an NBA level player, but I don't know uh-huh. if he's a playoff level NBA player. And that's that if he was on the Cavs like three or four years ago when we were like trying to figure things out, going through a ever changing rotation of centers, then yeah, that would be best for him. But Right now, I feel like it's best for him to move to another team like the Charlottes or Detroit's who have 90 different centers. So that's a terrible example now that I'm saying it out loud. But <laughs> like those types of players are teams that could develop him further because the Cavs just can't be one of those teams for him right now. So, if, Mac, if you love Diakite, you have to let him go. <laughs> I knew that was about to be the next sentence out of your mouth, and I'm heartbroken. <laughs> uh, no, um, I get it. And you guys know I love Khalifa Diop. We also dropped some content over him. Uh, prior to the season, we predicted that he would be drafted uh, by the Cavs, and he was, and I'm glad he was. I'm just – I'm not certain when they're going to bring him over. And you just never know with those international process, uh, prospects. It's the same way with Luke Travers. I just don't know in either two of those – are going to come over. Although we like what Travers can do. We like what Khalifa can do. Um, they're, they're still in play obviously for next season, but to Corey's point, it's probably very unlikely that Diakite returns. Um, it, it, it's some capacity outside of a camp invite, but I think he'll knows? be on another roster though. I think he's think young so? enough and has, he has enough. I mean, for God's sakes, Jordan Bell was passed around the league for like many years and Jordan Bell eventually ha- turned into just another big player that will sometimes get a 10 day. But Diakiti, I think in the right situation could develop into a serviceable NBA player. He could, he's won at every level. Um, we, we always bring that up. You know, he's a champion at every level already has a ring, but that, Contributed Honestly. a ton to that championship. <laughs> to let yeah, it be noted. Yeah, he was the MVP. <laughs> he was the <laughs> MVP. 
He helped in practice immensely. Great vibes guy. <laughs> uh, yes, everything you want out of uh, out of your veterans, right? Uh, if you consider Diakite that at this point. Uh, that said, <laughs> <laughs> the next question we have comes from none other than Simply Dave on Twitter as well. What should the playoff rotation be? I'm going to let you take the first crack at this, Corey. Oh, gee, thanks. <laughs> uh, obviously, I'll just go through Darius, Donovan, Okoro, Mobley, Allen. Okay, that was the easy part. Now is where I hate my life because I hate <laughs> the bench more than life itself. Um, I would have to – oh, my God. It Like, honestly, this is going to be the biggest cop-out answer of all time. It's going to be all matchup-based for me because there is not much – Come on, Corey. No, it's just because, like – like you tell uh, like the bench is so unreliable right. i i want quick leashes on everyone i guess if i had to let's do this players okay eight give me give me your eight and then give me your nine all right it would be rubio karis and oh my god I would like it to be Jetty, but I don't think it's going to be just because it's the playoffs and it's defense and it's JB Bickerstaff. So I would hope it's Dean Wade if he gets it back together. But once again, that's really just hoping. I think Danny Green would be a good option. I would hope it's Danny Green. I would hope it's Dean, but that it would be one of those two probably. And that would extend to my nine as well. Okay, I think that's fair enough. For me, starting five is locks. You're not changing that, barring some unforeseen injury. God forbid, knock on wood. Just did that. <laughs> uh, Karis is your your first guy off the bench. Um, I'm assuming that they want Ricky out there, obviously, um, you know, to, to be a playmaker. And that could still potentially work out, although his minutes are kind of all over the place right now. So Karis and Ricky are your sixth and seventh. Uh, if I'm going to eight-man rotation, that eighth man for me has got to be Dean Wade um, <laughs> to knock down those shots, to play some defense. If I'm going nine, right now, as of right now, I am going to say my ninth man is Jetty Osman. And I, I say Sam that because <laughs> <laughs> I say that because you still need shot making. You still need somebody out there who can give you some type of offense from this very woeful Cavs bench. It's a toss up though, because Lamar, man, like Lamar is always there. He's got that mentality that he can just he cannot play consistent minutes uh from game to game and still come in and contribute like he did last night. But Lamar is not necessarily a great shooter of the basketball. If you already have Ricky Rubio out there, who is not a noted three-point shooter, if you have Karis LeVert out there, who is not a really good perimeter shooter, if you're going to need to you're, – you're, <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at these comments too. Oh, no, I was uh, laughing because I was just thinking Karis LeVert's not a good mid-range shooter and he's not a good attack-in-the-glass player either. <laughs> Don't make me slander him. I hate doing it. <laughs> I'm not. I, I love Karis LeVert. I love everything uh, he brings to the table. But when you uh, look at his stats on cleaning the glass, it's really rough. They're not good. He's no, in the bottom percentage in everything except he's average at corner threes. The shooting just this season, it is bad. It is bad. It's inconsistent. It's been better lately. And it's the conundrum that I often find myself in. People are like, well, Mac – 
Why are you taking up for this guy so much? Why do you care so much about Karis LeVert? Well, folks, that's because I feel like you guys talk way too much shit about him. When you're looking at other players, like we have this double standard when it comes to Karis and when it comes to guys like Jetty or, I mean, I'm, I hate to say it, but I'm going to say it, Ricky. If Ricky is not being – if Ricky's out there passing the ball and guys aren't knocking down shots, Ricky's uh, – his value diminishes. His, and you've seen that in the last couple of games with him. Only played seven against, I want to say Miami. Only played seven against Boston. Um, this is a team that needs shooting, uh, obviously. But even when Karis LeVert is not knocking the ball down well, what he does do is is do other things. He defends. He facilitates just like Ricky. And he plays. Uh, he He's a pretty good rebounder. Um, so for me, for Karis, although he's not doing, uh, very well from an efficiency standpoint, I just feel like the guy gets a lot of undue hate, but I know we kind of spiraled there (laughs) again. Um, Karis, Ricky, Dean is your eight. Um, if you're going for, if you're just specifically referring to the bench and that ninth man is Jetty, um, sprinkle some Lamar in there. If you need to go match up base for some extra physical, uh, extra physicality or toughness, um, D- Lamar can do that for you. But everybody else is kind of a question mark. Like we're talking about Danny Green getting some time, but um, let me just ask you this: Are you are you okay? Like with Danny coming right off of that ACL injury and then being thrust into the rotation, like into a playoff lineup? No, I think him and Ricky Rubio should be treated the same way coming off of injury. Like I kind of view this season as like a trial run for the most part, like I'm not going to use this as an example of if this player is washed from the injury or not. Cause I feel like ACLs mm-hmm. take like a year or so for to sure. kind of see what you got. Ricky obviously is looks rough at stretches, but at the same time, like as long as his IQ is there, we've always said as long as his physical, like as long as his athleticism gets back to where it was last season, which isn't a high bar with Ricky Rubio for the record, then yeah. it will be fine. And I kind of feel the same way with Danny Green right now because when I watch Danny Green run up up and down the court, which I have never watched a guard run up and down the court as much as I've watched Danny Green. <laughs> And because right now it looks like you're kind of watching like one of those unathletic centers run up and down the court. The dude looks like he's running in quicksand, but it's also because he has like not much conditioning under his legs right now either. And obviously it doesn't take uh, athleticism for that jumper to still be money, which it looks like it's pretty decent still. So I feel like once that gets under his legs, I, I, I would feel pretty comfortable throwing him out in a playoff game to see what we have. But I feel like the way I feel like they they're just easing him in to the games right now. And I don't need him forced into a game either. That's the thing. Like when you've seen Danny so far this season, it's either been in a blowout or it's been when like a blowout on our end, or it's been when we're just completely done. Like we're, we're out of it and you're just trying to see what he has. Give him some minutes. Uh, I would not just thrust him out there. He would not be my initial option to be in that playoff lineup. Um, obviously Sam Merrill is not a, uh, a fully rostered player, so he's not eligible. Uh, uh, and some of these other options you have, how Neto, um, Robin Lopez, if they are starting in the playoffs or in your playoff rotation, something's gone wrong. So, uh, yeah. you don't, you don't want that. So I hope that answers your question. Uh, Dave, simply Dave, ah, uh, man, I guess we can go ahead and take one more here 
And this was one I was kind of saving for last. And that, my friend, comes from Giga Gal. <laughs> Giga you want to just pick the hardest Gale? name? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who's a potential playoff opponent you would like to see the Cavs face in the first round? So I guess I'll almost start this off. Um, yeah, cool. it, this is the, the framework <laughs> for this right now is it, it, it's kind of crazy because when you're looking at it in an ideal world, I'd love the Cavs to grab a top three seed and put themselves into position to play the lowest seeded teams possible. Um, however, I don't see the Cavs moving into the top two. Uh, overtaking Philly at three is still a distant possibility with a good run and some ba- some luck from the basketball gods, uh, which just does not seem like something that usually happens for Cleveland. Um, at three, you could end up seeing potentially the Nets or Heat, which honestly I'd feel okay about. I know everybody is always saying like they don't want to see JB coach a seven-game series against Eric Spolstra. <laughs> uh, but I'm I'm up for the challenge that the Cavs are. Uh, the Nets definitely can throw a ton of bodies at you, especially after all those trades. Uh, and I think their best player is considered to be Michael Bridges, uh, who has averaged – somewhere around 26, 6, and 3 since joining the Nets. Uh, the Cavs take – my take is the Cavs would probably beat the Nets in 6, and I think they they can beat the Heat in 7. Um, if they remain at 4, which is probably the most realistic possibility, they would face the New York Knicks, uh, Knicks if the playoffs started today. So the Knicks, to my knowledge, Corey, correct me if I'm wrong, I did not see if they played last night. They're undefeated. Uh, in their since last, the yeah, since the break, and I think nine and one in their last 10, they and they're catching yet. fire. What'd you say? They didn't play last night. Okay, great. So that my, my, uh, my notes still stand. Uh, they're, they're catching fire right now, and honestly, pretty scary. Uh, they have more playoff experience than the Cavs, and, and both a pretty good, uh, offense right now, scoring 122 points, 122.7 points in their last 10. They're a legitimate, a legitimate threat, and I'm not keen on facing them. I'll, I'll go ahead, just because this is a it's Cavalier, this it's the it's Cavalier show, right? Uh, it's a Cavaliers podcast. So I'll go ahead and be a homer <laughs> and say Cavs in seven. But this team could absolutely beat Cleveland four times in seven games uh, with the way they're playing right now. Corey, with all that said, that that long mouthful. What <laughs> would be your ideal first round matchup? I think I, I honestly am struggling to see this Cavs team uh, get to the three seed. I think Philly's playing really well right now, and the Cavs are kind of trending downward, I would say. But I don't think they're going to fall to the five. I think the Knicks, as talented as they are, are uh, kind of running into their best streak right now. But I wouldn't expect it to continue like to propel them into the four, possibly the three, but at the same time, uh, I think Miami would probably be our best option to play. I think they're a weak team overall. They're struggling. They're now starting Kevin love, which isn't proving to really bear much fruit for them. He looks like he's struggling just as much as he was in Cleveland, which is a good sign. Uh, I also think, that uh, Brooklyn, I think, is going to fall out of the playoffs as a whole. I think they have a lot of bodies, but I th- they're also trending down. They're kind of buoyed by the advantage they had during the Kyrie and Kevin Durant time. But um, 
The Knicks, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm more bullish on the Cavs against them than I think most. In a good way or a bad way? In a good way. I think that Mitchell is infinite, is like on a different stratosphere compared to the rest of the Knicks roster. I mean, Jalen Brunson's a star. Julius Randle, it has, is unproven in the playoffs when they played the Hawks two years ago in the bubble season where Randle, I think, was third team all NBA he did not really deliver in that series either. So, and RJ Barrett isn't a consistent shooter night to night. And I think the Cavs would have, I think you can make a case. The Cavs would have two of the best three players in that series being Garland or yeah, Garland and Mitchell. So I, I would honestly feel comfortable in a variety of series. My worst fear would be that if they did somehow get to the three and then Toronto caught fire and they became the six somehow, that would be alarm bells for me because I think the Toronto Raptors are one of the better teams built. It's them and the Celtics and the Bucks to me and Philly are the mo- best built to beat the Cavs as currently constructed. And it can't be understated that the Cavs are one of the – it's the only team in the top six in the East to have a losing record on the road, which indicates that uh, it's like a symptom of a young team and they're kind of just working through it. But at the same time, like if the Cavs lose home court advantage, it's a completely different story for this Cavs team in the postseason because I don't feel confident in them winning a series on the road. I think that – that is completely fair to say. I mean, like, this is such a young and inexperienced team. Um, and their new shows, I mean, against some of these top-tier teams. I mean, we see it consistently when we've played Philly, when we've played New York, when we played Boston most recently, who, you know, it took a Herculean effort from Donovan Mitchell and some other notable performances uh, for us to beat them without their best players. Um, you, you see some of the mistakes being made. Hopefully they'll be able to clean up. Uh, but this is often why we talk about, you know, this team not being a finished product, while, while we talk about year one of the Donovan Mitchell experience not being title or bust. Uh, but for the, for the Cavs to be <laughs> in the position that they are right now, um, it just it speaks volume about how far they've come since the start of the rebuild. And for me, if I'm looking just purely at the seating right now, if I had to pick one of those one of those teams, it's going to be the uh, probably the Miami Heat. Um, I don't want to see New York. I just don't. Uh, not with the way they're playing. Hold on one second. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, I do not want to see this New York with team with the way they're playing right now. It's just simply they have too much firepower. We know the Cavs at times can struggle defending the perimeter. But again, to your points, I mean, none of them are consistently proven playoff contributors. So we'll have to see. And as you guys can hear my daughter in the background, I think that's probably <laughs> a good time. Uh, to wrap up the episode that said like we always tell you guys if you'd like to reach out to us you can at it's cavalier underscore pod on twitter tiktok instagram youtube and more if you'd like to subscribe to the well if you'd like to be added to the it's cavalier discord chat you know what to do leave a rating leave a review send a screenshot of said review to it's cavalier 53 uh, at gmail.com and we'll send you an invite that said go calves thanks for tuning go in go calves <laughs>